The Pace Line Podcast is sponsored by Health IQ, an insurance company that helps health conscious people get special life insurance rates. Go to healthiq.com forward slash paceline to support the show and learn more. And the Pace Line is supported by LAL Cycling. The coast is calling. LAL Shore Collection embodies the spirit and style of the California coast. All LAL products are crafted right here in Southern California for shipment worldwide. Now on to the show. This is show number 91 of the official podcast of Red Kite Prayer. Hello, Paceliners. Michael Houghton here, a.k.a. Hotty. How are you doing? I am on Interstate 5 driving home from the Bay Area, headed back to Los Angeles after Thanksgiving weekend. And of course, what else are you going to do during a five, six hour drive but listen to podcasts? And I'm listening to the pace line. I am doing uh, markedly better. Hey, that's me, in fact. So I am introducing a podcast, but I'm listening to a podcast, but I'm in a podcast. What the hell am I doing? I'm actually uh, driving distracted right now. Maybe I should put both hands back on the wheel and get back. To the pace line. Enjoy the show, everyone. Paceline, the podcast on two wheels. Patrick, Hottie, and Fatty. This is show number 92 of the official podcast of Red Kite Prayer. And of course, you can and should subscribe, rate us, and review us on Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, and wherever else you get your podcasts. We're not even going to name them anymore. Because if you if you are listening to a podcast, you can get that podcast on the thing you're listening to it on. Isn't that amazing, guys? Incredible uh, analysis. Yes. <laughs> I've completely befuddled my co-hosts <laughs> one minute uh, into the episode. What did you he know, say? <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't paying attention. I was I was reading Twitter. Um, it, it's that kind of year anyway. Uh, I, I, for one, am about 90% hibernated. Uh, I am eating a tub of ice cream as we speak, and I don't have any plans for writing after we after we talk. Uh, but while I'm not doing a lot of writing right now, mm-hmm. I am definitely thinking a lot more about buying a bike. Mm-hmm. How about you guys? Well, you're a cyclist. Of course you are. And yeah, but this I'm... time of year is different. It's like... How it's... so? During the riding time of year when I'm like all about riding... I don't really even think about, oh, I wish I had a different bike, or if I had a different bike, I'd ride more, or, or what I really need for next season is something that is full suspension or has clearance for 28-millimeter tires. I just ride my bike. This time of year, I start thinking more about the stuff that is going to make up for my failings from last year. <laughs> wow. What's that like? Oh. <sighs> Uh, you mean you, I, I'm not sure what you mean by that question. What is it like to be my, to be me? It's, I well, don't know. I mean, I didn't mean <laughs> anything quite that broad, but sure. <laughs> it feels weird, man. It feels really weird. Um, we should start this recording over. No, we're going to keep going. We're going to leave all this in. We're going to plow through undeterred. That's right. We're that kind of podcast. No, it's during during the during the racing season, during the riding season, even early in the season, I just ride what I got. I dance with the girl what brung me. This time of year, I start retrospecting, and I, for myself, I've been thinking what I want next year is something that is really going to make a difference as I race the Breck Epic. I want a full suspension cross country racer, and I've kind of narrowed personally down to the specialized epic i'm thinking okay specialized epic xtdi2 nv525 wheels uh love the 525 wheels have more to say about them if not this week's paceline pick the next time but you know it's it's you know i i've got i've got my next year's dream bike sort of in my head and 
I tell you what, it is hard for me not to pull the trigger on this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and to be honest, I don't plan to not pull the trigger and we'll probably be pulling the trigger twice. Bang, bang. Because I have a wife who is every bit as strong as or possibly getting a little bit stronger in the uh, in some respects for cross-country racing as I am. And if I'm going to be racing on a cross-country full suspension bike at, in the Breck Epic, then she certainly is because she and I are planning to race in co-ed duo. And we've got to match. It, it wouldn't be right for me to be riding a brand new bike in her not. It just wouldn't. Hmm. Um, you're on the right track, I think. You're thinking think so. about the bike you'll need in August of 2018. That's good mm-hmm. because uh, if you wait t- too long, then you're then suddenly you're trying to procure a bicycle in late spring or early summer, and then you're trying to work out the kinks, and you show up at Breck Epic, which is six days worth of what, like forty to fifty miles each day. Yeah, around forty. Uh, 50 and you have no idea how that machine day. is going to behave. You don't have your yep. sag set right. Whatever, you got the wrong tires on the damn thing. So I say, good on you. You're you're planning now and. You're, you're also remembering your your second half, your better half, the number the number one in your life, who uh, who has become an excellent, high quality rider, and uh, yeah, she'll need a machine there too. But I, you know what I hear about oh, yeah. Breck Epic, Fatty? Then more than just the bike. I mean, you could show you want a, probably a good cross country machine, but it's tire tire choices mm-hmm. is just paramount there. People go there with all kinds of ideas that they're going to run around on lightweight cross country tires, and they get their lives ruined so oh yeah t- tires this yeah this will be the second time that i've raced the breck epic and while i didn't have a lot of flats the first time i rode i do have a very clear memory of not not tons of really burly sharp rocks but certainly plenty of them and over six days if you are riding aggressively at all and are riding with super thin uh, aggro cross-country racers, you're going to suffer, um, and you're going to spend some time on the side of the trail. I would much rather go a little heavier. Uh, places I have to lose weight um, aren't on my bike. <laughs> They're on me, mm-hmm. and I, I will take care of those things before I worry about getting something so light that it just, you know, that I, I wind up fixing flats all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but last time we raced, we did, uh, we, we uh, raced on hardtails, and there's nothing wrong with doing the Breck Epic on a hardtail. We could do it again. But um, I am really looking forward to handling some of this really fantastic single track with a little bit uh, more plushness to my ride mm-hmm. uh, it's not like the epic is a super plush ride but uh it is certainly going to be a, a little more forgiving and since i am about five years older than i was last time i did it that sounds like a really good thing to me yeah but i'm not the only one who is buying a bike or thinking about buying a bike right now i know hottie you got something that is what you're, you're about 80 percent uh purchased and built or where are you on mm. that thing yeah, I would say so. Look, my bike daydreaming can be divided up into three. You're thinking about one bike. Come on, Fatty, mm-hmm. get in the game here. You got to be thinking about <laughs> two or three bikes. I mean, I'm constantly looking at my quiver going, gee, if I got rid of this one, I could get this one, or I could get rid of these two and buy one or something like that. So there's always this mix and match game I'm playing in my head. My bike daydreaming can be broken down into like three uh, categories, if you will. One, I'm always just dreaming about bikes in general. Like I have this curiosity about bicycles. I love them. I'll look at and peruse reviews and look at machines in all shapes and forms. A kid's bike, a bike I would never ride, maybe a downhill bike, um, you know, old bikes. I just like looking at them and, and knowing something about them. Uh, the bikes I focus on, the bikes I like to ride are the ones I'll read a little deeper on. And I do that year round, just this curiosity about bikes. When I'm in in race, race, like I race, I race a little bit. When I'm in competition season or, you know, the the spring, summer season, 
I focus on the bikes I currently own because I know those are the ones I'm going to have to ride. It's just silly to try and buy a bike that late in the game and get it up to speed. So I focus on those bikes I currently own. And I, the focus is, do I have the right tires on? Am I running the right pressure? Do I want to change out bars, tape, blah, 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 right? Do I need a new seat post? Whatever. So I focus on the bikes I own. This time of year, the time we're in right now, the, the quote-unquote office season, I start thinking about what do I want to buy? What do I want to add to the stable? And I have this huge problem in this arena in this time of year. I deliberate. I consider. I mull. I change my mind. <laughs> I think I want one thing and then think it's another I do this over and over. This is a pattern. This is a problem. I need therapy. Something needs to happen. I, I believe this is a genetic problem. My father is the great deliberator. I mean, the man, if he wants to go buy a pair of shoes, will go on and try like 30 pair and then cross-reference them on all and see which one's a better deal and finally make a choice. Um, I, I'm wow. kind of the same way. I just look things over. I want to know that I'm making the right choice. Now, the weird thing is, I am in the middle of a bike purchase. One's coming to me right now. In fact, I just finalized the deal for the frame and fork. It's coming to me right now. And the odd thing about this bicycle I chose is I have not seen it. I have not touched it. I have not ridden it. I know what it looks like. The builder has been out of business for uh, probably 15 years. This is like a huge risk. This goes against my... Every, every fiber of my deliberative being. I'm the jury of bicycle purchasers. I sit around and consider all the facts before I do something like this. This seems way out of character. What I've got coming to me is a fat chance. Uh, Patrick actually probably knows Chris Chance better than any of us here. He's a legendary builder. Yeah. Uh, built the Yoeti, which was a fabulous mountain bike back in its day. Well, Chris is, is back in business. He's back building bikes. He's moved from the East Coast to the West. He's up in Oregon now. And yes, he has the Yoeti again. That's not what I'm getting. He has a, the Slim Chance, which is his road bike. I'm getting the Crisscross, which is a gravel slash, obviously, cross bike. And it isn't steel. And it is the thing I'm having delivered. But again, sight unseen. I mean, I've seen it in pictures and on the <laughs> website. And I'm, I've picked the paint and so forth. But I have no clue. This thing could be a complete failure. But here it comes, and and I'm ready for it. <laughs> I, I I like how after passing on bikes that you'd actually ridden, you've gone for something that you haven't ridden. Uh, there's a spirit of adventure there that I would like to celebrate. <laughs> well, I'm a big fan of that as well. It, it's good to do something a little different every once in a while. <laughs> how about you, Patrick? What do you got going on? Ah, uh, you know, new bike wise. Yeah, I I have a desire. I actually have two competing desires. Uh, mm. I've got this love affair with the Marin Wolf Ridge. It's an amazing bike that will allow you to do things that you would not otherwise be entirely qualified to do on a mountain bike. Um, and given where I ride, some of the terrain that I ride on, it's a bike that could be a whole lot of fun. But it's also kind of heavy. I mean, even with a good build, it's going to run 28, 29 pounds. But at the same time, and what is proving to be a bigger push or pull or whatever, what's nagging at me more right now in terms of what isn't in the garage that I'd like to be in the garage is something relatively lightweight, 29er, travel in the 110 to 120 range so something that's not a pure cross-country bike but definitely on the light side for a trail bike since i only race a couple times a year i want something that's you know for those days when i'm going to be tearing around chasing people who would otherwise just dump me and uh <laughs> when i'm out west county uh in willow creek riding with those guys uh, yeah, I need it. I need all the help I can get for climbing because those guys can just whip me. And so, you know, a bike that would, would lend a little help that way would be e -bike. pretty welcome. <laughs> yeah, well, the good news, you're, you're in the probably the sweet spot of, of mountain bikes. I mean, the push and the 
and the generation of great equipment in that area and that trail, that 110, 120 area up to 130. If you'd run in 27 and a half, maybe something a little deeper of travel than that. There's just so much to choose from, Patrick. Now, I would go out of my mind because there's too much to choose from. Well, see, you've already included something that doesn't belong. (laughs) You simply don't run 27.5 in Sonoma County. You don't do it. There's just too much rock. And so that's that's a whole category that isn't even part of this. And a 130 travel bike, well, I've already got a 140, 135 travel bike. So I don't need something in that category. For me, it's the 110 to 120, not 125. 110 to 120, uh, you know, lighter weight frame, definitely 29er. Um, you know, for me, it's fairly prescribed. Yeah, there are some great bikes uh, in this range. But, you know, I'm looking more like a Pivot Mach 429. Sure. Um, a special Camber. Turner's uh, R. Turner's I'd be willing R. To, yeah, I'd be willing to think about it. You know, so there's there's some stuff out there. I'd like to have a chance to review a couple more bikes uh, before I settle on something. Um, but yeah, that's that's the thing that's n- kind of nagging at me right now. Well, if you guys say so, hey, for me it's super easy <laughs> to make these choices. It's like I want a full suspension mountain bike. Pretty much narrowed it down to two, really quickly, and then made a decision. And now I'm just going to get the stuff that I want for it. <laughs> and then I'm going to buy two. <laughs> get it in the shopping cart and hit buy twice. By, by the way, easy. will you buy that complete or build it? Build, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I guess I am, uh, I, I guess I'm that snobby. Well, I don't know if snobby is the right word. The thing is. You're particular. I, yeah, there are very specific things that I want, and I am too lazy to do all of the eBay swapping necessary to buy a complete bike and then upgrade it to where I want it to be. So, um, it, but that said, it was bringing up eBay. Have you guys thought about that this is actually the best time of year to sell a bike as mm-hmm. well as to be thinking about buying it? Because the three of us are all kind of like getting antsy about buying bikes. You know that that's not unique, right? It's well, sure. This is the time of year where, oddly enough, where you, you maybe you have a little more time, a little more energy. Uh, things have kind of calmed down. Maybe you've got a Christmas present coming up for you or for a cycling loved one. Selling a bike is, you know, if you if you got a, a jam-packed uh, garage full of bikes, maybe not a bad time to uh, so start spreading uh, spreading some of that love around, uh, or maybe getting recouping a little bit of the money that you've got sunk into your stable. Yeah, uh, I'm, as you I'm get both ready for a and B one. on that. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, we all are. I um I the reason I I bring that up is I did just uh, after. Uh, having uh, thinking that I was going to be able to sell um, my Tarmac SL4 uh, for all of summer, I had it up on eBay and it just sat there, just sat there, just sat there, didn't sell. But then this last week, all of a sudden, you know, while I'm starting to think about a bike that I want, this bike sold. Hmm. Um, I think I, I don't think that I don't think that it's any kind of coincidence. I think that. Uh, people who are buying new bikes, people who are buying used bikes, this is the time of year to sell a bike or buy a bike. Yep. I'm sticking to it too. That's my story, man. (laughs) I'm using my one personal experience and applying it generally across the universe. (laughs) That's scientific. Oh yeah. (laughs) I am Mr. Science. Um, Yeah, no, seriously. I'm thinking about taking a bike I, I'm my problem is I'm still trying to talk myself into this. It's like I know that if another bike is going to enter the garage on, shall we say, you know, reasonably permanent basis, something needs to leave. And so there's one bike I kind of have my eye on. It's like, yeah, I could let this one go. Only it's still really hard to let it go. I I really like this bike in particular, and you know, it's just one of those things. Like, how many road bikes do you need? So mm-hmm. I'm I'm having trouble, and it's one of those things that I know that if I had 
you know, the the cross country slash trail bike that I wanted, it would receive more riding time than this bike is. Yeah. So I, I know that there would be a practical upside to it, but still, it's really hard. <laughs> I don't have any trouble at all letting bikes go anymore. I think there was yeah. a time when I had some sort of sentimental attachment to bicycles. I don't think of any of my bikes that way at all anymore. Bikes, uh, you know, they, they come and go. And I, I kind of wonder if that's just sort of a, a side effect of I'm riding, you know, all of my bikes are carbon, right? All of them right now. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know if you just don't get as emotionally attached to carbon as you do to titanium or steel. Or maybe it's that all of my bikes are just, you know, they are more or less off the rack bikes and feel like commodities for the thing that I love doing. But the equipment isn't what I fall in love with. It's the riding itself. I, you know, when I when I sold the tarmac, which I've been riding and enjoying for four years now, you know, four great seasons of riding, you would think that maybe I would have had you know some sort of moment of nostalgia when I got the congratulations, your bike has sold message on eBay. No, not at all. I'm like, oh, good. Okay, I can pay for my son's wedding. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. It's it's like, yeah, I mean, it was about that simple. Um, And, you know, also, that also helps me with some of the components that I'm looking at for the epic that I'm considering. Uh So, it's yeah, I I don't know. It's, do you guys, I think probably for the bike that you're, uh, that you're working on, Hottie, that's way more of a personal and emotional investment than anything I'm looking at. Well, I, I, I hope, uh, boy, what do I hope? I guess I hope it is. I mean, I guess I'm hoping to mm-hmm. become a little more emotionally attached to, to bicycles. That's maybe why I'm leaning back to steel these days. Um, cause I think I had the same feeling you did Pat, uh, rather fatty about, you know, I have had a stable full of carbon bikes and none of them really mattered to me in the end. Um, I'll sell them in a second. Um, and my time has some sentimental value. I, you know, I like it. It was mm-hmm. a good find. I'm glad I found it. Um, uh, but if somebody walked up to me and said, here, here's some money, you know, if it's the right dollar amount, I go here, go ahead. You can have it. I mean, I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna flinch. So yeah. Um, yeah, tr- you know, I, the problem with having sentiment with bicycles, as soon as they fall on the ground, you, you know, you want to go home and cry. So, <laughs> and they will, they fall over. And, and there is a, a a weird irony in that, that these bikes, which are objectively the best bikes that have ever been, right? The, yeah. the bikes that we are riding right now are just works of both visual art as well as amazing devices. They can do so much more, so much better than any bikes ever have before. And maybe I'll get slammed for that, but that's, you know, that's the way I feel. Mm-hmm. But... They are also really mass produced now, and they are something that are a they are a tool. They are a fantastic and incredible commodity, and I attach. Probably, I, I I love riding, but I there are none of my bicycles that I would say I am in love with because I know that if one were to get stolen or broken, I could replace it with one that is every bit as good right away. And I would still be able to do the thing that I love, the activity I love, uh, just as well, and maybe a little bit better because it's a year newer. Well, okay, enough I, psychology, right? I just want to say, when it comes to the really super upper end stuff, uh, you know, take take your felt road bike that you have. Mm-hmm. Um, calling those commodities is, I think, reasonably unfair because the the handwork that goes into them. Sure. You may not be able to pronounce the name of the person who laid up the bottom bracket section of your bike, but the quality of work there is truly artisanal. And I, I often feel like the people doing that layup work don't get the credit they, they deserve, you know, on a $3,000 bike, it's a different story, but the really upper end stuff, it's crazy difficult work. And in a certain sort of way, even though it's a team of people working on a frame, I'd still put it up against, you know, the stuff coming out of seven, you know, that sort of thing. It's sure. on a par with it. So I I don't want to unfairly malign uh, the carbon, the top end carbon fiber bikes coming out of Taiwan. Yeah, that's a super fair point. Um, yeah, I think what Fatty's I, I saying is those bikes are replaceable. The harder the bike is to replace, 
probably the deeper your love is for it. Yeah, that's right? a good way like, of putting it. Patrick, yep. the seven, your seven, the Earhart, is a harder bike probably for you to replace than say Fatty's Felt. Yeah. You know, I so could, I with could that said, you're probably exactly like, yeah, like I put, it. I have, there's some investment. I, you know, I really tried really hard to get this bike. It was kind of hard to acquire or it'd be hard to replace. Yeah. I'd I have to wait. They'd have to build me a new one. You know, right. it wouldn't, I, you know, there's not uh, a place on, on the web where I could just order it and have it later this week. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, there we go. So, uh, wow, we shot far afield of where we originally were on this conversation, but I'm going to bring it back right now because we have just launched the latest in our very important question of the week and posted right now on Twitter is the question, how off is your off season? While we are sitting on our couches dreaming about bikes, we're curious whether our listeners are doing the same. Here is the question, which has been live for, why, almost an hour now. Um, here we go. How off is your off-season? 7% are saying cross-season, baby. 12% are saying they're riding about half as much. 28% are saying they are all about the base. And a whopping 53% are right with us. They are saying they are so off. So totally off. That makes me feel a lot better about myself. Thank you very much, listeners. Define us. And pull takers. Us are the people who agree with me. (laughs) (laughs) The people who agree with you, I refer collectively as you. There is you, there is us. Okay, well, at least I'm not them. (laughs) Not yet, dude, but, you know, keep that up and you will be. I don't even know what that means, but it sounded I, satisfyingly threatening. I, I do feel Got- sufficiently warned now. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a quick break in uh, for a word from our sponsor. When we come back, Patrick is going to humble brag for us about who he hung out with earlier this week. Welcome to SBCU. Today we're going to talk about the fastest full suspension 2.9er, the Epic. The Epic's been a part of the Specialized family for a long time, but has always been true to being the fastest, most efficient full suspension bike out there. Chances are, if you're listening to this, you're a cyclist. And because you're a cyclist, you can save up to 25.5% on your life insurance by purchasing it through Health IQ. In addition to all the usual information you give for insurance, such as age, gender, height, weight, and nicotine use, the amount of riding you do each week is considered, and you can take quizzes that may reduce your payments further. It turns out that knowing what it takes to be fit has its own value. Health IQ knows that people who ride have an 18% lower risk of heart disease, a 28% lower risk of overall mortality, and a 45% lower risk of cancer. So drop by healthiq.com forward slash paceline podcast to get your free no obligation quote. And the pace line is back. Hottie, Patrick, and Fatty. Let's talk about famousness. I'm pretty famous. When I go into a grocery store, I'm about 70% confident that I am the most famous person in the milk aisle at a given point in time. Um, (laughs) That is super famous. But Patrick, you, you hung out with and rode with someone who is genuinely, at least in the cycling universe, very famous just uh, earlier this week. Tell yeah. us all about it, man. Well, so there's this guy who, for the most part, within the cycling world, is pretty universally liked, which is kind of hard for pro cyclists these days. But he's won the world championships three times. He's got uh, amazing hair. He's got great style. He's got a cool European accent. And he goes by the name Peter. Um, so... As it happens, Peter Sagan is sponsored uh, by Osmo Hydration, and he's over here visiting uh, Osmo 
and specialized and, you know, doing the, the standard, you know, wintertime uh, sponsor tour and, you know, lots of meet and greets and whatnot. And I'm still not entirely clear on just how this happened, but uh, smart people talked to other smart people and suggested, hey, what if we do a charity event with Peter and he comes to Santa Rosa, does a ride, and we use it as a way to raise money for fire victims here. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, the event was organized by Bike Monkey, and they opened up registration to 400 people, and it sold out in a day. And, you know, I, I saw people from all over, talked to people from as far east as Auburn, uh, as far south as the Central Coast. Um, so, yeah, people came in from all over, a number of jerseys out there from uh, the Sacramento area as well. And so he got up in front of the crowd and talked a little bit. And then we headed out for a ride. And the idea was that we would spin up to the north side of Santa Rosa, uh, loop around the airport, and then come down through Coffee Park so that people could see, you know, the, this burned area. And then we'd climb up Fountain Grove and pass through parts of Fountain Grove that burned before dropping back down uh, into Santa Rosa and finishing at uh, Trail House, the tap room slash bike shop uh, owned by the folks from uh, NorCal Bike Sport. And uh, because it was 400 people and we wanted to keep it safe or they wanted to keep it safe. I don't know why I used the collective we, uh, but yeah. Better than you. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. They, they wanted to keep the ride safe. And I mean, we had a full motorcycle escort. There were motorcycle marshals. There were police officers who were stopping traffic. We were zooming through lights that were so red they were pink. And it was, you know, it was really well run. Uh, but it was also distinctly quick. I think in the first mile, we probably shed 50 people. And they kept it up above 20 miles an hour for everything until we hit Fountain Grove. And honestly, it was above 25 for an awful lot of that. And, you know, it was one of those things. I know there are people who were probably kind of bummed that they didn't get a chance to circulate up to the front and, you know, rub elbows with Sagan. Realistically, that was, it was just never going to happen with 400 people. Hmm. And uh, it was, you know, it was an experience to get through Coffee Park. I'd been through some of it before, but we rode through a part that I hadn't seen except for in photos. And man, it's like a war zone. You know, there are places where I can look across, you know, whole blocks uh, and, and there's just, you know, nothing other than a couple trees still standing and they're probably going to pull those trees down. And we got up into Fountain Grove and, you know, there's just one huge plot after another where it's just a pile of rubble. Um you know, cars all burned out. Oh, there was a Mustang, like an, a late 60s Mustang sitting burned out in one spot, you know? It's like, just, it's still hard for me to comprehend. You know, I've been through so many different areas of our county and seen burned out home after burned out home. And I still struggle to comprehend the enormity of what happened you know, and I, and I live here. Um, anyway, we got back to Trail House and then there was a period of time uh, where uh, the the podium that's used by Bike Monkey at their events, uh, this really cool, you know, a hand-built podium that was brought into Trail House and a backdrop was put up and people got in line and they got to get up on the podium, stand there with Sagan, get the pictures taken with him. And then circulate on through. And they'd brought in a caterer to do some really nice food. Of course, all 12 taps at Trail House were going. You know, stuff from Bear Republic and uh, Russian River, Hen House. So nothing but really fine craft brews. People hung out. And then at the end of that, that ran until 8 p.m., then there was a, another sub-VIP group within that 400 people who went over to another 
bar, nightclub, whatever sort of thing to hang out and dance and have a little bit more time with Sagan later on that night. Um, and I made it over there for a little while, but because I knew I was going to have to get home and help wake up little people in the morning and get them off to school, I, I didn't stay for the whole thing. But it was it was a really neat event. It was super well done. He was as fantastically gracious a person as you could hope to meet. I didn't go up to get my photo with him. That's not really my style. But I watched how he interacted with people. He was an absolute first-rate gentleman. And I mean, I've been around other events of this sort with Armstrong, with Hincapi, with, you know, any number of guys. And he was one of the friendliest, uh, most down-to-earth, kindest pros I've ever seen in action anywhere. I can't possibly say enough about what a really wonderful individual he was. And, you know, it was one of those things that, you know, his reaction to what had happened uh, was pretty telling. Uh, he does the big eyebrow thing pretty well. Um, but yeah, it was it was a really nice event. And in one day, that one event raised more than $60,000. All of that is going to go to fire victims. There will be no administrative costs costs taken out of that at all. Uh, really, 100% of, of whatever that final take is will will go to fire victims here. Wow. Yeah. Very awesome. Yeah. I, you know, and you've done a nice job of this, but you, know, you want to sort of second that, uh, co-sign the kudos to Bike Monkey guys. Those, uh, they do great events. That goes almost without saying but uh, they do the right thing, too. I mean, they, they are seriously involved in making the their corner of the world a better place. And I love seeing that. Yeah. Bike people are good people. A- amen to that. Amen to that. And I mean, you know, Bike Monkey takes a certain amount of heat every year because of Levi's mm-hmm. Fondo. There are always those people who are like, oh, they should change the name of it. Well, it's, it, you know, they run the event it's Levi's event. They can't change the name. And when people want to get uppity about Bike Monkey, you know, theoretically, I'm a journalist. I'm impartial. I don't take sides. Well, this is one occasion when I take a side. You know, I've got their back. They've done so much for this community. You know, what they've invested in terms of making cycling in Sonoma County that much more enjoyable. Uh, and uniting the local community here, you know, just that much more. It's it's truly one of the reasons I moved up here. I was so yeah. impressed by their work. And, I, you know, yeah, anytime uh, Carlos needs help, you know, there are those of us who stand, step up. As a matter of fact, there are still kids' bikes being given out tomorrow at lunchtime. I'll be going over to Bike Monkey headquarters with a stand and tools to help do final checks on bikes before they get given out this weekend. Yeah, I figure it's okay for you to not be so much of a journalist because podcasts aren't journalism. <laughs> but the other part of my job is. Certainly this point isn't. Um, I don't know what this thing is. Uh, <laughs> what do you say we move on to the news? Yeah. Potty, what's going on in the The universe? news. The news. Right. Would you, would you like me to do the, the, the news intro part? That's perfect. Thank you. I'll come up with something. <laughs> I just did, man. Okay. That was yeah. awesome sound effects I just did for you. All right. Our lead story. A 21-year-old from New Zealand has become the first male rider to earn a professional contract with his performance on Zwift. Wow. Ollie Jones has been given a deal with Dimension Data's development team. Jones, he's a former champion speed skater, fought off the competition of more than 9,000 other riders to land the deal with the U23 squad. It wasn't just Zwift Data, though, that got him on the squad. Jones and four other finalists attended a training camp and rode with part of the big squad, including Mark Cavendish, before management picked Ollie Jones to get a contract. All right, guys, marketing scam? Or the real deal here? Uh, truly, it's egalitarian. You know, this is a meritocracy. Dude kicked butt. Mm. I mm. love it. 
I absolutely love it. Dude absolutely kicked butt. The one scary thing is, you know, it's like, well, did he peak just for that? Um, you know, if you if you hit a peak this time of year, just ask to uh, ask a lot of cyclocross stars. Next March, they might not be worth much. Yeah. <laughs> so that's that's really the only risk I see here. But I I love that they did that. Uh, I hope they do more of it. I hope it's not just a one-time thing because then it'll seem like a gimmick. Right. Every year they should do this. Yeah. It's kind of like the walk-on at college. You know, the guy walks on campus. He's got no scholarship. Bam. Suddenly he's the starting QB. So pretty cool to see. Uh, Chris Froome has decided to race the 2018 Giro d'Italia. If he wins, he will hold all three Grand Tour titles. And if he follows up a Giro win with another Tour de France victory, he will be the first rider in 20 years to pull off the Giro Tour double, Marco Pantani, the last to do it in 1998. Froome says he's in the Giro for the historic reasons at stake and because the Tour starts a week later this year. But maybe it was the smack talk that motivated Froome. You see, <laughs> Fabio Aru and Eddie Merckx both challenged Froome to take on the Giro in 2018. Aru is in and said prior to Froome's commitment that the two of them could have a big showdown over the ro- in the roads or o- on the roads in Italy. Aru, of course, won a climbing stage and wore the yellow jersey for a few stages this past tour before Froome rightfully took what was his. It did create a little rivalry there. Eddie Merckx challenged Froome to do what he had done, hold all three Grand Tour titles at once. <laughs> Guys, maybe we should challenge each other. You know, it sounds kind of cool, actually. Throwdowns, a challenge. Oh, yeah. And it doesn't have to be cycling. Like Fatty... I challenge you to a potato sack race up Columbine. Boom. Wow. <laughs> I, I, I suddenly feel compelled to start training. <laughs> and I challenge you to a potato salad making race. <laughs> That's good. How about that? Do wow. we need more of this pro, pro cycling? Like, like, should these guys be a little more demonstrative? More, I mean, the sprinters are, right? They fist pump and everything, but... For the rest of the guys, especially the Grand Tour guys, you know, these guys seem to be, they reserve. They don't want to say too much. They want to piss it. Do we need more like smack talk to get that sport going? I would like it. I, I would love to One have One year a like bit, that would be refreshing. A little world, uh, what what is it, WWF uh, style <laughs> uh, shout downs. Uh, that's what we need. The thing is, though. These are people who live like monks, right? They have, you know, they eat very little, get it stay as light as they can. It just doesn't lend itself to the to this. I was going to say the steroid driven posturing, but then I changed my mind and instead apparently have said steroids twice now. Um, <laughs> but in spite of trying to avoid it, um, but we're we're very much a sort of quiet. Uh, let my legs do the talking kind of thing. I would love to have a little bit more aggro-ness. Mm. Uh, so bring it on. Okay. We get a little bit of that in the mountain bike world, but I'd love to have it in the road bike world. Yeah. Sagan's about the closest we have. He's not afraid, and, and some of the other sprinters, not afraid to speak his mind and say, hey, this is mine. I'm going for it. All right, Niner, the bike company, Niner has filed for bankruptcy. Niner recently announced that it was selling to Columbia Basin Partners. Niner company co-founder and president Chris Agai said the Chapter 11 filing was the most efficient way to sell the company to the group they've targeted, Columbia Basin Partners. He said Niner had been profitable for five of the last six years, but lacked resources to invest in R&D and marketing. Sagai said he did not expect the bankruptcy filing to change the brand's relationship with its vendors and hopefully its relationships with its customers and its warranties. If you own a Niner, should you be nervous? I no. Hope not. No. <laughs> Why not? You sound more definitive than I do, so I'm going to let you talk, Patrick. Well, I mean, provided provided everything goes the way it's supposed to go and doesn't get sideways in some fashion, you know, the the company's going to continue on there are no announced staffing changes, nothing like that. They're not moving headquarters. And so it should, to all of their customers, all of their vendors, it should appear to be business as usual. And, you know, what what people dealing with them, you know, on a B2B basis will see 
is, yeah, the effect of more money being thrown at development. So, you know, that that's probably going to be, uh, you know, either working with an out- outside engineering firm or working with their existing factory on, you know, increased engineering. You know, maybe they hire another engineer or two, something like that. But from a warranty standpoint, from a sales standpoint, what they're saying, provided that takes place, there's no reason for anyone to be nervous. If anything, they ought to be applauded. You know, sounds like Niner bikes are about to get even better. Mm-hmm. Yay. So a move more of strategy than of desperation is what it sounds like. Hooray. Yeah. I mean, you know, they are for sale. There is a chance here in bankruptcy court that another buyer could move in and make a bid for Niner. And the court could enforce that new bid. They could force Niner to sell to somebody other than their chosen buyer. So that's the yeah. risk here. Yeah, there's some exposure. No question. I'm going to put in a bid. Go ahead. <laughs> what do you got? Uh, $79 and uh, a box of donuts. Who, are you Bernie Sanders? Come on. <laughs> All right. Do we have more news? We do have more we news. Go- How about this? Uh, the British right. government is considering a mandatory helmet law. The Department of Transport, as part of an overall review of cycling safety, will take up this idea of what the Brits would call a compulsory helmet rule and a mandate also that cyclists wear high-visibility clothing. But the helmet law is the big deal here. Former Olympic and world champ Chris Boardman, one of the biggest voices to come out against this so far. So far, The state of California actually dipped its toe into this issue and nearly got its foot chewed off by angry bike advocates who claimed such a law would kill the growth of cycling. Are we going to have to, guys, someday come to terms with some kind of mandatory safety features on our heads? Is this inevitable? You know, the thing uh, is, if just quickly, the thing I'll say is that, you know, all of the libertarian-leaning and more conservative types are going to rail against this as government overreach. And so I don't really see it taking place. You know, I could be way wrong. I'm wrong about three or four things every day, but I don't see it happening. Hmm. Fatty, is it ever okay not to wear a helmet? And do we need to be told to wear them by the government? As a a guy who has landed on his noggin twice in two weeks, um, I don't plan to ever ride my bike with no helmet, no matter what. Of course, both of those were on pretty technical downhills, but the fact is I, I have crashed and hurt myself at zero miles per hour, more or less. And that's usually putting down a, a, a hand when I shouldn't have. But you can hit rocks. You can hit fence posts, trees, stop signs, cars. <laughs> so I don't know. It's I, I, I know that there is a pretty strong let-me-do-what-I-want uh, perspective out there. And for those people, knock yourself out. Uh, hopefully not literally. But... For me, no, I'm always going to wear a helmet, mm-hmm. no matter what. If I if I forget my helmet and uh, find myself at the trailhead, I'm not going to ride. I'm going to go back and get a helmet. Mm-hmm. I think that was a poll we did. A it while was, back. yeah. Ah, check us out. Did you change yeah. your mind, or or is that how you voted originally? That was uh, how I voted originally. I, I I would not go and do a ride without a helmet. I uh, I I. I generally keep a helmet in my trunk in my vehicle anyway so i should be fine and i think the argument also will be for sure is that a helmet law will drive down cycling participation and drive up and hence drive up the number of unhealthy people out there dying from other causes not from bike crashes so that will probably be the leading argument against a mandatory helmet law and that's the latest from the uh, paceline newsroom fatty there you go. <laughs> I'll keep working on my sound effects, okay? Patrick, what's going on at RKP? Well, so periodically we've taken up conversations about gearing on bikes, often pretty well centered on road bikes, uh, but more and more leaning into gravel bikes. And so I've just finished my review 
of the FSA SLK modular crank. This is the crank that was developed in conjunction with Felt. Uh, it's the crank that Felt asked them to develop for the VR bike. So it's a subcompact crank, 46 tooth and 30 tooth rings. Uh, it's a hollow carbon fiber arm. Uh, weight on it was, uh, I'm forgetting right now, 500-ish grams, something like that, 605 grams. And, uh, you know, a really, really neat crank. And so this was the first kind of upper end um, uh, carbon fiber subcompact crank I've had a, a chance to ride and review. And it's getting a lot of lively comments. There's a lot of conversation about this. But, you know, for me, you know, I'm just, I'm not strong enough to pedal around, you know, just go everywhere in a 5316 anymore. <laughs> I, mm. I used to just ride that gear all the damn time. Um, and I'm, I'm not that rider anymore. And when I'm riding a drop bar bike on unpaved roads, I'm much, much less that rider. And so it's been really helpful to me to have, you know, more usable gears on my cassette by shrinking the chain rings. So this thing's really fantastic. I'm, I'm a big fan of it. It's not a, a really expensive upgrade, uh, $347.99. But yeah, people ought to wander by and check out that review. It's a neat little thing. And I'm glad you're digging the bike, but I think we need to put a moratorium on conversation where we talk about how we're get, all getting old. <laughs> <laughs> I'm well. This isn't even about old. I'm just not as fast as I was. Yeah, that's that's meta old discussion. Trust me on this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> all right. Let's go on to the Paceline Picks. And Patrick, with your voice all warmed up, since you've had a chance to rev up that old voice of yours, I'm going to have you go first. Okay. Well, uh, also with RKP, we've got two new things on offer for the first time in quite some time. There's a new t-shirt that's going to be produced very soon for us. Uh, it it uh, went to the printer today, I know. We're calling it the World's Collide t-shirt. Uh, former teammate of Hotties and mine, uh, Greg G. Money Libert did the art for it, and it's an homage to the great Mad Magazine artist Don Martin. And uh, he was characterized by really silly caricatures of people with just the best flipping sound effects ever. Um, and most of these characters ending up in some sort of wild pratfall. And it occurred to me one day, actually a few years ago now, uh, that it would be kind of fun to have Don Martin artwork intersect with the world of cyclocross, which is easily the funniest form of cycling, uh, bicycle gymnastics notwithstanding. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, so uh, our friend Greg is a really talented graphic artist, uh, more graphic artist than graphic designer. And so he used to say he drew Snoopy for a living. He was with a company that produced all of the licenseware for Peanuts. Um, and so, yeah, he's a really fantastic artist. Literally the only guy on the planet I know capable of emulating the old Don Martin style. And so it's a front and back shirt and it should be good for a number of laughs Kind of the perfect thing to wear at a cross race as you heckle people and give beer hand-ups. Not that I would know anything about that. And then for <laughs> those who want something a little more useful on the bike, we also have our first thermal long-sleeve jersey ever. And so both those are, are live on the site. The t-shirt the should be two weeks out, you know, and, and probably another week after that, it'll start arriving in homes for people who who order it, but the, uh, the long sleeve Jersey, uh, is with our fulfillment center and ready to ship as of people hearing this. All right. A good pair of offerings. I've seen the, uh, the cyclocross, uh, the world's collide t-shirt. And I thought it was Don Martin when I saw that at first, it really does have his style. And those of us mm -hmm. who have fondness for mad magazine, uh, who grew up with it, uh, are going to know exactly what that is right off the bat. So uh, super fun piece. I like that one a lot. Killer. And I'm going to go ahead and go second. And my pace line pick is 
a book, uh, and it has nothing to do with cycling. But a few years ago, I put in an incredibly, for me, fast time around Utah Lake um, listening to a book that, uh, an audio book that just grabbed me, grabbed my imagination, and I was so amped up during the listening of this book that I put in a very fast time. I put in a sub five hour century solo. Um, I remember that, which is not a small thing. That book was The Martian by Andy Weir. Oh. It became a major motion picture. A lot of people loved it. The audio book was just fantastic. Andy Weir has a new book out. It's called Artemis. Uh, once again, based in space, has nothing to do with the Martian. Uh, but it's this one is based on the moon. It's more of a caper. But I am once again really enjoying his work. If you liked the Martian, whether the movie or the book, I'm going to bet that you're going to enjoy Artemis as well. The same kind of nerdy sci-fi caper adventure. How are we going to get out of this? And a very well rendered uh, sci-fi uh, sort of sci-fi universe is uh, all once again there. Uh, very funny style, and uh, I'm a fan. Um, I put in probably the most pleasurable hour I've had in. Uh, a long time on my trainer listening to uh, I think chapter five and six yesterday on that. So uh, audiobooks in general, lots of fun. If you happen to use headphones on a bike inside or out, uh, but if you liked The Martian, definitely check out Artemis. That's my pick. Hmm. Hottie, bring us home. Guys, when it comes to getting around, my first love is the bicycle. In fact, the more I ride them, write about them, and podcast about them, the more I love bikes. And as my love for bikes has grown, my feelings for cars has become ambivalent. Oh, I love cars from afar, but as far as the one that sits out front, eh, whatever. <laughs> that wasn't always the case. At 16, having a car was all I thought about. And as soon as I had enough money in my pocket... I got me some motorized transportation. Actually, that something was a two-wheeled version, a motorcycle my father co-signed for. But I made all the payments. Over the last 35 years, I have registered 17 cars to my name. And pace liners, I'm going to name them all. A Honda Hawk 400, <laughs> an 82 GT4 Mustang, a Chevy Monza, Ford LTD, Ford XL, Mercury Capri, Toyota Corolla, Dodge Colt, Toyota Pickup, a Honda 750, VW Bug, Pontiac Grand Prix, Mercury Zephyr, Ford Escort, Mustang Convertible, Ford Contour, and finally, the vehicle I drive currently, a 2000 Toyota 4Runner. I bought the 4Runner brand new, which means I'm on quite a streak. The same vehicle for 17 years. And there's a reason for that. You see, 17 years ago was about the time I started some serious mountain biking. I figured my four-door coupe was no good for hauling a Gary Fisher to the trails, and since the lease was up, I got me some real outdoorsy-type vehicle. And then the more I rode, the less I thought about what I was driving, even in car-centric status symbol Los Angeles. How this thing is still running, I don't know. It has 221,000 miles on it. Basically, all I've done is change the oil, a couple sets of tires, one timing belt, two front brake jobs, one rear... My only main complaint mechanically is the check engine light, which really should be a dollar sign followed by the number 400 because that's what it costs you every time it comes on. In fact, <laughs> as I was writing this, my Mighty Forerunner was being checked for a check engine light. I rarely wash it. The color is supposed to be forest green, but my truck always has this brown hue. The cloth interior is somehow holding together, no thanks to me. The rear headline, headliner, that is, is marked up from the hundreds of times I've shoved bikes in the back. The carpet has chain grease stains that'll never come out. I have bike-related stickers on the rear glass that are faded and peeling. The license plate frame says, I'd rather be bicycling. But my forerunner dutifully continues to carry me and my bikes around. I love how I can just lay a bike on its side in the back without having to take the front wheel off. It's been to road races, mountain bike races, cross races, grasshopper, sea otter, a couple of bike press camps. Patrick was once, or rather twice, shuttled to San Diego in it as we planned this very podcast. 
Yeah. So while it's not a bike, it has been there for the best days of my cycling, and it deserves to be a paceline pick, my 2000 Toyota 4Runner. Amen, brother. I, um, <laughs> yeah. I, 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 as you were talking about that, I couldn't help but start thinking about my 2007 Honda Ridgeline, mm-hmm. which I like uh, in for many of the same reasons. And also, kind of like you, stopped thinking so much about buying new cars and uh, just like the one that I have because it is good for facilitating the thing that I care about. Yeah. Anyway, great paceline pick, Hottie. Thanks so much. And I believe that is going to wrap this episode of The Pace Line. If you haven't been to iTunes to rate and review us, or if you haven't been to Stitcher or to Google Play or wherever else you go to get your podcast, well, we're going to sulk, and we're going to use a lot more sarcasm in the next episode. Uh, It won't be pretty. If you have, thanks. We owe you a poll. For Hottie and Patrick, I'm Fatty, and this is The Pace Line. All right, we talked for 25 minutes about nothing. (laughs) We're like the Seinfeld of podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) 